Welcome to episode 14 of the Mountain Bike Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Lee, with my co-host, Stephen Lewis. What's up, Stephen? How are you, sir? Doing well, man. This episode is a bit late. We've had some people calling us out for it. I'm sorry. It was tough. So first of all, uh, Stephen, do you want to mention what you went through last week? Yeah. So since I was already down for the knee, I went ahead and decided to get some... uh, some sinus and throat things um, taken care of that have been kind of uh, bothering me and a hindrance on like athletic abilities when it comes to breathing for, you know, the better part of a decade. Sheesh. So I had a uh, deviated septum, so they fixed that with a chisel. And then uh, my turbinates have been inflamed and just all kinds of nastiness for... you have turbos? My turbinates. Oh, okay. Yeah, there I are things you, in your nose I that do stuff. Twin turboed or something. Yeah. Okay, not yeah. anymore. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I apparently, according to my ear, nose, and throat specialist, I have one of the largest uvulas she's ever seen. Wow, which okay. sounds good, you know, on a dating <laughs> profile, but in real life, it's pretty terrible. So. Okay, nice. Yeah. So you got your whole face drilled out there. Yeah, and th- we actually tried to record this podcast. And I was exhausted. It was a rough week. I was getting ready to head to H24 cycling team. That, that cycling team, it's Herbalife 24 presented by yeah. Mark Pro Nature's Bakery team. Yeah. Fast Pro dudes, uh, or P12 dudes. I was heading over to go see them. We had like just full plates. I sucked. You were on drugs and all stuffed up. You sucked. Yeah. And we both agreed, let's not put out a sucky podcast. Yeah, let's we can't a, do that. No, let's do a good podcast. So here we are, re-recording. Exactly. And we're not re-recording things, just you know, doing the same thing over again. We actually have some new additions that we think are pretty pretty good. So firstly, before we get into anything, uh, you can review this podcast, listen to it on whichever podcast app, obviously you're listening to it on, Uh, but especially on iTunes, you can drop us a five-star review and we love that. And if you don't feel like we deserve five stars, please let us know what we can do and we will try to rectify any situations or problems that that sit there, we'll make it better. We want to be better. Yeah, exactly. Always. Uh, you can also find us all over different social channels, and you can share us there. That's hugely valuable. Tag your mates. Um, let them know that you like the podcast. And uh, yeah, and share the podcast in general. You can go to mtbpodcast.com. It's a place to find all things MTB Podcast. You can listen to the latest episodes, share it out there. It's got it all for you, and it's easy to share on whatever social channel you're using. So check it out, mtbpodcast.com. Now, Stephen, something that we are doing with this episode, or that we tried to do, we tried to preview the Enduro World Series round one. Yes. But then it happened. So it was hard to preview it again. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I was at team camp. We couldn't circle back and do this thing again. I was gone, and then we got back. So th- we're doing it as soon as we can. So yeah. we're going to have an interesting uh, opportunity to look at how our predictions stood up yeah. uh, to what we to what actually ended up happening. Which we could just lie about and say that our predictions were 100% accurate, because yeah. you, know, you as a listener, you don't know any different. <laughs> but we'll be honest. We will. But first, Stephen, let's get into the news. News team! Assemble! So first up, uh, the True Grit Epic. So it's in Utah. And yeah, yeah. And th- this is a race that you guys should always, if you're looking for an early season tough race in the Southwest, this is it. It's hard. Uh, this year, it was won by Keegan Swenson, friend yep. of the podcast, good man, rides for Cannondale Three Rocks. And uh, he ended up setting the KOM on the Zen Trail during that race and the conditions were not ideal for it. So kudos Keegan, you took it. Uh, that's pretty awesome. And then Jenny Smith won the women's, uh, side of that thing or side of that race. And that's the 50 miler. And those races are actually round one of the national, uh, ultra endurance, uh, ultra endurance series that was just announced. Uh, you can check out that, that series, just look up the NU 2017 schedule or NUE 2017 schedule, forgive me, but there are races, especially throughout the Midwest and throughout the East coast, which is pretty cool. Uh, they have one up in color or they have the Brackenridge 100 in Colorado. Uh, they have one actually, which is really cool. Uh, it's called the Margie Gessick. I believe that's how you say it. And it's in the upper peninsula of Michigan, which I have, I've been there before. It's incredible. And I've here. It's gorgeous. And you almost feel like you're on a different planet because you're so isolated from everything. Yeah. And it's so sparsely populated. It's just a really cool place. Hmm. And then Big Bear in Grizzly, California. 
pretty awesome stuff. Um, Carabasset in Maine, that's another one that they have. So anyways, awesome races. If you're into the ultra endurance stuff, you can check that out there. So next up is the, uh, the Pan American Championship. Um, that's going to be down in Cuba. Um, well, tomorrow. Columbia. Yeah, Columbia. Did I say Cuba? You did, yeah. <laughs> Columbia. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, so that's going to be tomorrow. As Which would recording. be Wednesday. So Wednesday. 29th. Um, why have we not heard anything about this, Jonathan? <laughs> I, that's like the first thing I want to know. I know, right? Because there's downhill racing. There's cross-country racing. There's mountain bike racing of all sorts. We're sending teams. The U- I should say USAC is sending teams, or perhaps it's USO, Olympic Committee, but I'm not sure. But why isn't USA Cycling even making any noise about this? Yeah, like, why haven't they announced anything? Hey, this crazy. is crazy. Continental championships. It's a yeah. big deal. That means that you are the fastest person on the continent if you win. Yeah. Just, to, I mean, uh, just to make it clear, because I can't believe why we don't have anything announced on this. Pretty crazy. So um, USAC just being USAC, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe USO being USO. Regardless, Keegan uh, Swenson is going on that team. Good luck. Another friend of the podcast and Keegan's girlfriend, uh, Sofia Gomez Villafania. Good luck. Buena suerte, because she's going to be racing for Team Argentina. So, and she, I think she could get it. Uh, she could definitely be the fastest team or fastest member on that team too. So yeah. could be cool to see, uh, the absolute Cape Epic happened and there are a number of different winners because they have different, different, uh, different classes. Yeah. This race is kind of known as like the tour de France of mountain biking. It's in South Africa. It's a stage race, but it's a mountain bike stage race. Uh, some single track, mostly a lot of fire road, fire stuff road too. double track. Yeah. Yeah. There's a good mix of everything. Uh, it was won by Nino Scherter and his new teammate with this, Matthias Stierneman. And Matthias, I believe, is the sister, is the brother to Catherine. Catherine is also an XCO superstar, which is pretty cool to see. So, and kind of creepy. Um, but Matthias in the podium picture, his quadriceps look weird. They're like massive compared to the rest of him. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of creepy. Kind of creepy looking. Look at his dainty little ankles, too. I know. His ankles could snap at any moment in a a swift breeze. Yeah. But his quads are swift breezes in the Cape (laughs) Epic. Yeah. There we go. Going over to the women's side, we see Esther Seuss and Jenny uh, Stenerhog. I hope that's how you say their names. They took the overall, and they were they were kind of like an under underdog team coming into that. So pretty cool to see. And then Cadell Evans the Tour de France champ and George Hankapi of the U S postal team, who was a, a legend domestique for so long. Uh, both of those guys, they won the master's team, which was or master's competition it was pretty sweet. Man. Yeah. So, um, yeah, awesome race. There are recap videos on almost every stage that you can check out online. Uh, you can find those on cycling news and, uh, yeah, uh, pretty cool stuff. So absolute Cape Epic came and went, and those are your winners. And next up, you know, Gwyn at Fontana is, I, are we surprised that he I won? I, he won. <laughs> do we, is this really news? <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. So good job, Aaron. Yeah. Um, you're crazy fast, as always. And we both talked about this before, I think with another year under his belt, with his YT and everything else that he has set up. Yeah. I think it's going to be pretty good. Yeah. Two videos that were released that we dug this week. First, uh, Brett Reader, Reader had the Shadow of the Sun video. That was good. Artistic. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And the one thing about Reader, when you watch him ride, he's just so technically proficient. Yeah. Well, and it's the thing about this video that was hard is, you know, the lighting was really dim and low, so it's hard to to really accentuate his riding style and show how precision he is about things. Yeah. So that was the one thing that kind of bothered me about that video. But overall... I thought it was really good. Yeah, because it's more like taking kind of like a, a lot of shots that are more trying to capture the the, the context because it was called Shadow of the Sun. Yeah, and that that the, the it's I don't know why, but it seems like a de facto thing. Like if you have a video where you're talking about scientific things, it needs to be an old tape with yeah. like that was being recorded and sounds like it's old. But anyways, yeah. they're talking about that. So like you said, it's more about capturing the context of it. But readers writing it is just incredible. Yeah. So and doing the Bill Nye the Science Guy thing. Yes. Five million tons yes. of fuel every second. You'll the know sun what, burns. 
you'll know what we mean if you watch the video. Watch the video. Yep. Uh, the next one, released by Yeti. They released their Whitefish Proven Here video. With the new five. Yeah. If you don't know about their Proven Here series, they're like videos that are just, they capture the emotion of why you want to ride, I think. And you don't even have to be a Yeti guy to so appreciate good. it. So yes. just watch it and enjoy these videos. And it made me bump Montana up to the top of my list on yeah. places to go. Yeah. Looks incredible. Yeah. So kudos, Joey Schusler. I know you worked really hard with it with a team on putting that one together. Awesome aerial and cable cam stuff in that one. Really cool. And also to Jubal Davis and Sean Near because they were the riders in that one. So pretty cool to see. What's what's next, Steven? Let's see. Next up. So we've got the Santa Cruz Chameleon, the first look from MTBR. Yeah. Um, this has always been a fun bike to just, you know, look at for its versatility. Yeah. I mean, the thing does now, it does 29 and 27.5 plus. It's a good, simple hardtail. It'll go single speed. It'll go geared. It'll go plus single speed. It'll go whatever you want it to do. Shapeshifter of sorts. It is is very much a shapeshifter. And it's definitely one of those kind of like an all mountain trail hardtail where you're putting 140 forks on it and it's got a slacker head tube angle. And it's made to be ridden aggressively. It's a yep. it looks, it's a fun bike. Yeah, it really is. And here's the cool thing, or like, there are many cool things, but my favorite thing about this bike, if you look at the cost, frame seven hundred and fifty bucks, you can buy it in two different configurations, either sixteen hundred or two thousand yeah. dollars. It's pretty darn cheap, man, yeah. for a good bike. And you can have any color you want as long as you get olive green. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the fifties. Green, like appliance green. Yeah. It's kind of the color of it. If the I were avocado it. green. Yeah. Yeah. So, but sweet bike, kudos Santa Cruz on releasing that one. Uh, the Type A Bicycle Show is going on, and we're going to cover that at another point because there are a lot of crazy, zany things announced, yeah. but we've got a lot to cover yeah, this episode. We do. So, one other thing uh, Maxis released their forecaster tire in a 2.6. So, tires are just getting wider and wider, yeah. which is pretty cool. Tell me, Stephen, what is what what excites you about this thing? I think it's going to be an interesting, fast rolling kind of like an XXC or you know like an aggressive cross country tire. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like a really fast rolling, almost like a Rocket Ron meets. That's what I was thinking. It kind of looks like a Schwalbe pattern. Yeah, it kind of looks like a Rocket Ron meets. I don't know. I I really like to equate that to like one of the uh, like a Mavic Crossmax Quest tire. Mm-hmm. So. You know, in a 2.6, that's going to be nice and meaty, good traction, but fast rolling. So Right. And it's EXO, comes in 27.5 and 29. Mm-hmm. So. They make, we've covered this before, they make awesome tires. The cool thing about this, too, is it's just good to see a tire coming out 4XC. It's really built more for the loose terrain yeah. that you'll be riding. Of course. So there are big gaps in between the tread to be able to shed any mud or anything else that you're building up. And also to give you any type of, you know, uh, when you're talking about going through sand or anything else like that. It'll help with traction, but yeah, pretty cool tire. Um, the one thing when I look at it that makes me a little worried is having the angled knobs like that. And if you are going over roots or anything else like that, it has a way of kind of sending your tire out at that angle. But then again, if you're riding this in loose terrain, um, you're probably just plowing through things anyway. So yeah. Yeah, pretty cool to see. Uh, With that, Stephen, let's transfer from the news into the questions. Questions. Question. It's a ridiculous question. False. That's debatable. First one is from Brian. He says, hey guys, I'm 49. I've raced the A-class in motocross and off-road motorcycles for 30 plus years. And I raced cross-country mountain bikes in the early to mid-90s. I recently got back into mountain biking a couple of years ago with a 26-inch bike. In January, I got a Yeti, drink, he says, <laughs> SV5, and I'm blown away at how good that bike is. I stopped at my local dealer here in Atlanta, Fresh Bikes, and was chatting with the owner, Sean Brunner, who used to be actually the operations manager at Yeti. And I was talking to him about racing the regional third coast enduro series and getting an SB6 as a dedicated single-purpose enduro race bike next year if I decide to really get into racing. He said, with my moto background, I should get the 5.5 instead of the 6. So one thing really quick on that, I actually agree with that. Yeah. And the reason I agree with that is because, so coming from a moto background, you're used to more rotational mass, more inertia, and a more stable thing to anchor your body to. Of course. And you use more body English on a dirt bike. You have to, to get that thing to do what you want. Yeah. And with a 29er, I do find that, I feel more comfortable throwing my body weight around on that bike. It does feel a little more stable. uh, And so it does feel a little closer to home. Of course. That said, you've raced mountain bikes for a long time, Brian. So you might be used to, 
you know, that 26 feel yeah. that. And so a 27.5 might feel a little more at home if you're on a mountain bike. It really is up to you, but it really comes down to that inertial feel that you prefer. Uh, he said that after he got his 5.5, he stopped riding his, his SB six. I have no bias one way or another on wheel size. I actually can't believe people even argue and get into camps about wheel size. But my concern is since I'm at 5'7 and 145 pounds, I'm always right at the small end of a medium-sized frame, and I think I might be better off with the SB6. Obviously, I'm going to demo both bikes if I can before I buy one, but I'd like your thoughts just in general on someone my size on a long travel 29er. Thanks and keep up the great work, Brian. Brian, I'm just going to be honest here. You can go either way and you'll be just as fast on either bike. Mm -hmm. At your size, it's not really going to matter. The difference is on a six, you're going to be a little bit small for a six in medium. But the cockpit and everything, the reach of a 5.5 in medium is actually a little bit smaller than the six. So I think you're going to feel more comfortable on that bike. And I think, you know, like Jonathan and I were talking in the middle of your question, you're going to be more comfortable on a 29 inch wheel. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The one thing to consider, obviously, with this is that the 5.5 five only comes, the smallest size is a medium, which and is a six comes in a small. Yeah, which he's fine. I would put him on a medium, barring any sort of, you know, physical, like if he had a really short inseam and literally couldn't stand right. over a medium then I'd be concerned. But honestly, at his height, he's right on the cusp of either one. Maybe running a super short stem, like a 35 mil stem. Yeah, I'd say that if he was going to be on a on a 6C, um, it's going to, either bike is going to come with 800 mil bars and a 50 mil stem. Yeah. So what I would probably do is shave it down to 760 yeah. and run the 50 and see if you need to go shorter than that. On the but, stem. Yeah, on the stem. But stick to the 50 and just cut the bars down and cool. see what you need from there. That works. So from Chris, um, good day from Oz. That's OZ. OZ. So that clearly is the land of Oz, not Australia. Yes. Awesome podcast. Five stars. A quick question about training. Will the elite quick motion rollers output power or will I still have to use virtual power in trainer road? Yeah. So with this one, that's a good question. And you, you're better off using virtual power. So the elite quick motion rollers themselves do not output any power signals, but you can get uh, a little unit that, that plugs in, uh, to your trainer. And basically it's a speed sensor. It senses how fast the, those rollers are spinning. Yeah. And then it basically has its own power curve built in and it outputs power data. So really it, it is like virtual power. Yeah. But the thing is, I would just use your speed sensor and use virtual power that way because the tricky thing is in that I don't actually know how this works with that, uh, with the, the little the little unit you insert there, and I can't think of the name for the, for the life of me right now, but it has three different magnetic settings. So the difficulty with that is the fact that if you have that magnetic setting at setting three, the hardest, uh, it is going to be spinning at 15 miles an hour, let's just say, is going to be harder than spinning at 15 miles an hour with in the, in the lightest one. setting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that can be tricky. Uh, so when you use virtual power with those rollers, you'll see that there are different settings. Now, if you're listening to this, I will actually this week be going through and developing the virtual power curves for those specific rollers for each setting. So you'll have those, and those should be shipped, I don't know, we, hopefully within the next week or so. So then you'll have like really accurate, up-to-date ones uh, that we'll be generating there for those. So you'll have setting one, setting two, setting three, and it'll be super easy. All now, you need in that case is a speed sensor. Yeah. Now the other thing is you actually use a real, like a stages power meter, a cork meter. Yep. So you could also do that. Yes. Chris, you could do that. Yeah, and that would be that would be great because then you could use that power outside. Uh, that's the benefit of having a power meter is yeah. you can use it inside and outside. With virtual power, obviously, you can just use power when you're on the trainer inside. Yep. So Mark, he says, hey, guys, Mark here from Lethbridge, Alberta. Oh, the Burt. The Burt. We got more listeners from the Burt. The Burt. He says, love the podcast. I always feel well-educated after each episode. Good to hear it, Mark. He says, I have a question about suspension upgrade for my 2015 Giant Rain 2. This is my second one, and it's hard to argue with Giant's value and price point, he says. That's true. True. And they, they can sell bikes for very low costs. So he says, I've made a few tweaks here and there, like going to 1x11. It has the pike up front and a Monarch Debonair RT in the rear. I like the pike, no surprises there, but I find the Monarch leaves a little to be desired. I was thinking about upgrading to something like the Monarch Plus RC3, 
Or he could go to the Super Deluxe these days, which would be nice and even better, shock. He says, I'm approximately 180 pounds, and in order to get the SAG correct, I have to run around 250 PSI, which is a ton. That's a lot. Yeah. Yep. He says, I feel I am giving up the small bump compliance with that much air pressure, but if I go any lower, I blow through my travel too easily. I don't send gaps or do huge drops, but I do like to go fast and push the bike a little. It's my only all-day bike, so I like to have a lockout or pedal assist on the climbs. I'm just looking for some recommendations, as there is a lot to choose from, from Fox, King Creek, DVO, etc. Do I stay with Rock Shocks? Can I mix and match? Or do I just save my money and buy a Yeti? <laughs> that's, that's funny. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says, thanks for taking time to answer my question. Keep up the great work. Cheers. One quick thing before you jump into this, because yeah. I know you're going to have some great, uh, great insight here. But one thing I wanted to say on this was I had a giant rain as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't a 2015, but I had a giant rain and it was a lower, lower end model. And the shock on it, I believe it was a Fox float. RP2? RP2. Or RP23? RP2, RP2. Okay. And I had a heck of a time getting that bike to handle like I wanted to. Yeah. And I was running 250 PSI and I'm light. Yeah. So, uh, you know, relatively light. So that, but the reason that I was running more PSI was because I found that I was just blowing through the shock travel too easily. I felt like I had a very unstable platform, like I was standing on a waterbed. Yeah. But then if I put it, you know, pumped it up too much, then it just felt like it was just completely. It, the total opposite of supple. It was initially harsh. Yeah. So when I was going over bumps on the trail, I felt every single bump. So it, you're not alone in this one at all, Mark. This is pretty normal to have with like a lower end shock on that bike. That Remember when we talked about a few episodes back when we talked about the Maestro suspension, we talked about the fact that you end up having to put a ton of pressure in your shock usually. Yeah. Um, because you're dealing with a, a very a more progressive design with yeah. that one. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, but with that said, Stephen. So what I would do personally, Mark, is I would look at, you know, like you were talking the Monarch Plus RC3 or one of the Super Deluxe Airs um, or something like that. What I would do is I would just get one of those, um, just buy an off-the-shelf standard one from any of your local SRAM dealers, and then call Andy Jones at Squish Dynamics. Um, he's a former, he is the SRAM, he's SRAMdy. He is the SRAM guru when it comes to technical stuff, but he's on his own now. He, he left SRAM. And he's out of Oregon, so I know that's you know across the border from you. But call him up, send him a shock, tell him to dial it in for your rain at your weight, and he will get everything dialed the way you want it because everything needs to be custom valved, you know, basically specifically for your bike. Mm-hmm. And air volumes need to be dialed in. And the problem is your stock shock isn't any of yeah. that. It's just a basic off-the-shelf untuned shock. That's super common too, yeah. with, especially with lower end models. The the brands don't put in a huge amount of focus into getting the perfect shock set yeah. up for that bike. Whereas like a Rain Advance, you know, top of the line that has Fox Factory or, you know, a very high end Monarch is going to have custom valving in it. Yep. So exactly. That's one of the things that the value price point you suffer on, yeah. unfortunately. That's just the nature of the beast. That's how it goes. But I would upgrade that Monarch RT to something better. I'd look at a Super Deluxe Air personally. Yeah, same boat. Jared says, love the podcast. Uh, He says, any thoughts on the MRP ramp control cartridge for the Pike I have on my Yeti's SB5C? I'm a Clydesdale at 240 pounds that rides in the Sierra foothills with long climbs and party descents. Nice. You should trademark that, Steven. I seriously need to trade the market. I know. And he says, I'm looking for more tunability than the current three positions offered on the Pike. What should he do, Steven? You know, I haven't gotten to play with the MRP ramp control yet. I know they make a cartridge for the Pike, and then they also make one for the the Fox's, uh, Forks as well. Um, personally, I don't know. You say you have a Pike. I'm guessing you have a Pike RC3 or an RCT3, one of the two. Right. Um, short of the Fox, the 36 RC2, I don't think anybody makes the RC2 damper is amazing. Like the ramp control is trying to do what the 36 RC2 does. Yeah. And it gives you more adjustability. So that's a great option for your pike. But beyond that, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if it'll necessarily be, be what he needs now. Yeah. You know, if you're a bigger rider, then you, and he says that he's looking for more tunability than the current three positions offered on the pike. And I'm sure he's talking about compression adjustment there. Yeah. You know, if you're a bigger rider and you're running a lot of pressure, you might feel like you're losing some initial feel that you would get from the fork. 
Uh, so one thing that, you know, it depends on the, uh, the tokens that you're running. And that's that the fort. thing is it's going to be more on the airspring side than on the actual damper side that he's going to probably have to worry about that. I agree. So look at the, how many tokens you have in there, right? And if you feel like you are a bigger rider and you want to have more initial plushness, then perhaps remove a token from what you have in the fork. Yeah. If you feel like you it's bottoming out too much, then maybe add a token in there, and then you can run maybe slightly lower pressure when you do that as well. Yeah. Um, but those are the th- those are the suggestions that I would have. I see a lot of people looking at like the the cartridges that they can install into their forks as kind of like a. Uh, almost like a way for them to finally get their suspension to do exactly what they want. And the fact is uh, these days with, with Fox and RockShox doing such a darn good job on their forks. Yeah. It's pretty tough to just plug in a cartridge and suddenly the fork is so much better. Yeah. And so, Um, yeah. So with that, what I would personally do, um, Jared is you say you're in the Sierra foothills. So you're obviously in the California side. You know, there's a bunch of dudes that I know personally that are good suspension tuners. You know, you've got Brian Durling down at Mike's Bikes and Folsom. You've got Curtis Christensen at Auburn Bike Company. You've got Oliver and the crew over at Roseville Cyclery. You've got the guys at Victory Velo. There's a bunch of guys in that whole corridor in the foothills that all do excellent work. Go talk to one of them. Go see if the problems you're having specifically, the things that you want this RP, you know, or the the MRP uh, damper assembly. Yeah. If that's actually going to fix the problem, so right. talk to one of the local guys and see what they say, and then go from there. Awesome. And last question is from Stephanie. Uh, she says, I've recently changed bikes for several years. I've ridden the Juliana full suspension 29er Origin in a size small. So that's old school. Yeah. Really old school. And she says that uh, it's equivalent to the Santa Cruz Super Light, the single pivot design. It had a 120-millimeter 120, 120 fork, uh, and it's basically a full suspension XC bike. I love it, but it was heavy, climbing sucked, and I tended to take this bike to places like Downeyville, North Star, and Mammoth. I love the way I could just roll over anything. It was like a Cush Cadillac ride. I felt pretty confident, but being a shorter rider, the woes of being of gnome blood, I'm five foot one inches, and I was, or one inch, and I was experiencing a lot of toe overlap. And I felt when I was going downhill that I was towering on top of my bike rather than being in my bike, if that makes any sense. Which totally makes sense. Makes perfect sense. That's exactly what you have to do on a small 29. Yep. And that's also old school geometry too. You know, it's, it was much more common. Uh, she says a steep, steep technical stuff got scary and I wanted to be more playful on the bike. Um, but, uh, my Juliana was long. Now I have a live intrigue SX. It's more aggressive. It's got 27.5 inch wheels and sized for gnomes extra small. <laughs> I have trouble adjusting to the 27.5. I feel like a total beginner on semi-technical stuff. What I used to just cruise over and she says, C-R-U-Z. Puns. That was good. Yeah. yeah. Over and not even notice feels like a war zone. Is it the tire size? Suspension or wheel size, we should say, is the suspension not set up right for my old 29er, just covered uh, covering up the fact that I sucked at mountain biking. I'm feeling frustrated and down. Honestly, Stephanie, this is something that everybody goes through in some capacity every single time that they switch bikes. Yep. Your new bike is about 25 years newer in suspension design. Than your old Juliana. The old Juliana comes from, you know, the 1997 design of the Superlight. I mean, it's old school single yep. pivot. So the thing is, your suspension might not be set up correctly. It might be. But the problem is, you're just not used to this bike. You're not used to the new slacker geometry. You're not used to being low and centered in the bike. You aren't used to a 27.5 wheel. You really need to just go ride the bike and just pick things out in session lines that you're not comfortable on and figure out how this new bike rides. Your new live is an amazing bike. Yep. Just get used to it. Couldn't agree more. With that, Stephen, let's get into our EWS review and let's get down to business. The business is business time. All right. So 
interesting stuff. Like we said, we did our predictions beforehand. We did a full like preview. And for the EWS rounds that are to come, you can expect full EWS. Like we'll do a preview of each round, which would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be too in depth. And then in the post race, we'll kind of talk about, you know, what's going on or what went on with race. EWS is kind of the series that we're going to focus on most this year. We'll also cover some of the World Cup XC racing and World Cup downhill racing as well. Yeah. Might cover some other, you know, odd events, but these, these are really going to be our bread and butter. Yeah. So, uh, but first round was in New Zealand, I should say. It was the giant Toa Enduro. The Rotorua. Mm-hmm. Crankworks. Yeah. Interesting stuff about this race. In 2015, they went there. Yeah. And it is a, and they didn't go in 2016, but in 2015, this race was kind of known as, as throwing a wrench into the spokes because prior to this, we had like a lot of, um, I guess you could say just a lot of courses that were more like traditional mountain biking areas. And this is, it's almost like North shore riding in a lot of ways, you know, it's jungle. So you've got, uh, it's jungle. It's not super hot. You know, it, it was like 60 degrees on race day, but it was raining like crazy. And it's, you gotta remember it's the fall right now. You're yep. going from summer cooling off into fall right now. So this is like North America in September, October. Yep, exactly. And it's, but the growth there is insane. It like is. it's just so many trees and roots. So the dirt is, is really organic. Yep. It's a lot of dark dirt that has incredible traction until it gets wet. Yes. And when it gets wet, then it turns into like some slime on top of a dinner table or it turns into just rutted out mud bogs. Yes. One of the two add into the mix, the constant tree roots that you're going over and the constant off cambers. It makes for a really tricky course. Yeah. Now, if it wasn't raining, still really tricky. And it makes you really pick your lines really carefully. And it's got a lot of up and down constant up and down. We're not talking like down for 30 seconds then up for 30 seconds. We're talking constant little undulations that force you to pedal and put out like really peak, you know, high peak power and then carry your momentum, pick your lines. Really tricky course. It is a tricky course. And the thing that a lot of people don't understand is just to get to stage one, they do just over 10 miles and almost 2000 feet of climbing just before yep. they get to the first time stage. Yeah. And the whole thing all together, it was about a 40 mile day. It's it's an all day. Ra- it's a seven hour race for a lot of the, you know, mid pack people. Yeah. 7,000 feet of climbing is what they amassed over yeah. the whole course of the day around there, roughly, uh, just a pretty brutal, brutal place. So, uh, the cool part about what we've got right now is, we actually talked to one of the right racers who was doing the race, who was there racing these races, uh, Jubal Davis. He rides for Yeti Cycles, uh, Sh- Yeti Shimano Fox. Uh, that's the team that they ride for. And he was there and gave us a quick review of each stage, which, which is, is pretty, really awesome. Pretty sweet, right? Because we couldn't be there. No, yeah, exactly. My so, schedule. I'm just too busy, man. Just too busy. Yeah. Just too busy. It's yeah, kind of tricky. So, um, but let's kick things off. Basically, what we're going to do is give you a breakdown of the distance and then how much was descended in each of the stages. Now, with enduro, something just a quick explanation of enduro. Enduro racing is uh, is a little different. It is a big loop but that only portions of that loop are timed in the sense that, and then at the end of the day, all of that time is added up from those timed segments. Whoever has the lowest time wins. Now that said, uh, you know, so think of it this way, you can pedal and they call them transitions or liaisons from, you know, the start to the start of stage one, the start of the day to the start of stage one, that's a transfer or liaison. You can ride there more or less at a leisurely pace yeah. for most Enduros. EWS is a little different. They EWS have- is specific start times you, and they make it so it's tight. You have to get there quickly. Yeah, you can't just lollygag. Yeah. So you're not timed for it, but you better be at your next stage start by the time your start time right. is up. Now, to be clear, they're not, you know, the the time cuts for these guys it, to get up to their stage start, it's not like it's an XC race and these dudes are sprinting and going as hard as they can no. all the way to it. They're able to manage their effort within reason. But remember, they're still climbing and they're going up really steep terrain, so you can't really, it's not like it's just perfect recovery in between. No, it's not. It's work to get and there. There's, you know, you look at any sort of, you know, issues that you have along the way, and you miss your time stages, you're out. 
Yep, you're done. There's, there's a few um, friend of the show, Lauren Gregg. She yep. missed her five hour time cutoff, and she didn't. She DNF the race because she had a, a, a bunch of technicals, and she just couldn't get past the stage. You know, yeah, the five hour cutoff. That's how it works, yeah. and so. It's it's a really cool format because in a lot of ways enduro racing I'm speaking of it, it's a cool format because it's kind of how most of us ride you know we cruise up with our friends and we get to the whatever like the downhill fun downhill area is and then we go as fast as we can on that and then we collect again and go to the next one yeah uh, so it's pretty familiar to all of us because it's kind of how we all ride yeah um, but with that said uh, something to what well, the huge asterisk with this race with the results and with everything is the weather super skewed results for everything yes through stage five stage yes. six and seven more aligned towards what we would expect to be at the top but yep. one through five was I mean excuse for lack of a better term it was a show right yeah and this whole thing um so we're gonna run through the results here we're gonna give you insider jubal davis who wrote these stages he gives you a first-hand review and the most important things of each stage and a little bit of insight into how he did as well which is pretty interesting stuff um but with that asterisk of the weather in mind uh, let's kick things off steven go ahead with stage one so stage one uh is the trail name is called terua um, it's 1.29 kilometers, 262 meters of descent. So it's 0.8 miles and about 860 feet of descent. It's not a long stage. No, not at but all. But it's a Pretty solid quick. warm up after, I think the winning times are in the low fours. Yes. Uh, so four minutes of all out. Yeah. Um, so Jubal um, told us stage one was a short and steep track. The rain came in on the way up to the start of the of stage one. And I was surprised by how well the track was running by the time my start time came. The rain picked up for the top 30 men and just got worse and worse as they dropped. So this is where initially we don't have an even race. This is where home court advantage mm-hmm. rules over everything else. Yes, and, and also, it, you know, home court advantage rules and then start position is absolutely key. Yeah. And the way that they sorted this on the first one is whoever had the most points from the year before. So that was like your seating position. Yeah. So when you're talking about that, that's tricky, man. Yeah. So Richie Rude, the champ, he goes last. Yep. And when you have a rainstorm or when you have the rain coming in, so, you know, they're starting to ride up and it's already raining and then it's just raining harder and harder and harder. Yeah. That's obviously, that's just, but that's just the nature of the beast. That is the nature of the beast. It is what it is. You know, you're not going to have a level playing field. No. Right. And this is where, this is where slow is fast. And this is where keeping your peripheral on all of your obstacles, your roots that are coming out, the tracks that are getting dug, you know, just everything off camber. This is where you really have to pay attention to what's in front of you as well as focusing further out and making sure that you're carrying your momentum as good as you can. Yeah. Um, cool opportunity for the locals. Like yes, you said. absolutely. And this, and it definitely shows in the results. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so women's results, you know, we had, uh, um, Cecile Ravenal, Take first in that stage, Camille uh, uh, Belanche. Belanche. Who knows? <laughs> We're trying our best. Yeah. So she took second, and then Vanessa Quinn took third. Yep. Um, and then uh, our men's results. You know, Adrian Daly, Win Masters, and Connor Fearon. So you know, all semi-local. Yeah, we're sense. talking they're they're you know Australia or New Zealand yeah, in Australia, that area. New Zealand. Oh yeah, also two guys that I think of that hold it wide and let it slide when they're riding. When Masters and Connor Fearon, they're both UCI DH guys yep. that are known for just like charging super hard. Yep. So I mean, it makes sense if you're in the mud like that and you can just shred through it. And also, they got really early start times. They did, which is good. So. Uh, stage two, uh, Tihi Otawa to Billy T. Those are the two trails that they took two kilometers long, 176 meters of descent. So for those of us here, stateside 1.2 miles and 577 feet of descent. Uh, this is what Jubal has to say about it. Stage two was a bit longer and more of a flat Rudy stage. The roots forced you to be very particular about your line choice, but that ended up putting you through deep puddles the whole time. So something to the when we watched this stage, it seemed like it would have been now the the mud kind of changes things, but it seems like it would have been really physical because you and I were watching some helmet cam videos of these different stages and we were watching this one. This was like constant up and down little things. It was, it almost looked like it was kind of like hard to get your rhythm going Yeah. because anytime you started to get some momentum, you had this really short, steep little sections you had to pedal up and 
and yeah, tricky route. So the women results, Cecile got it again. She got first Claire Hassenfratz got second. And then a common placing that you'll see throughout the rest of this is Ines Toma. She got third. She was really consistent for the rest of the day. Men's results wins brother, Eddie masters got the win. Matt Walker got second and Hayden Lee got third. Stage three, Hatupatu. Um, so that's uh, Hatupatu and, and Damn It Jane. So that's actually uh, two separate trails. One is an indigenous trail. The other one is a newer trail. Mm-hmm. Um, so funny story um, with Hatupatu. That stage alone, uh, that's actually an indigenous trail named after one of the original Maori um, hunters that came over on one of the seven original canoes that every Maori in modern day... New Zealand can trace their ancestry back to. So that's kind of a cool little historical thing. science S- facts yeah. things. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Nice. So um, it's basically said that he used that trail itself back in like, I think it was 1300 AD era, Sheesh. like somewhere around there to hunt Holy on. Cow. So that's actually pretty cool that they're racing this trail. Heck yeah. Um, so that's 1.67 K 194 meters of descent. So just over a mile, 1.04 and 636 feet of descent. Uh, Jubal's take was stage three was the most challenging for me with the rain having come down for quite a while. The dirt had turned to sticky peanut butter, like mud. It made it really hard to keep your momentum <clears throat> and you just felt slow and sluggish in the deep mud. The roots, the ruts were massive they were up to your axles and so deep that they were forcing your derailleur into gears as your whole Holy bike cow. slotted into the ruts. Each or Every rider had their fair share of running instead of riding in that stage. Jeez. So where stage three in 2015 was actually one of the, uh, I guess, had some of the best carnage on it. Yeah. And best crash scenes and, you know, good spectating and heckling. Yeah was now pretty much just a mud festival. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. And I th- I'm i not sure if this is the stage where this happened to Jubal, but I know that he he actually had to take a different line around his 30-second guy because the riders start 30 seconds apart. He took a different line around him, ended up just getting sent straight into a tree, and he ended up just somehow getting tangled up with his bike, and the, the lever for his dropper post went into his lower leg, like through the skin, and chipped it, the chipped the bone on his shin, just Crazy. gnarly. Yeah. So yeah, really rough stage. Yeah. Really so rough. women's results, uh, Cecile R- Ravenel again. You know she won every stage except for seven. Yeah. Um, Inez Toma, like you said, she's consistent two, three, four across the board the whole way. And third place in that stage was Caroline Gehrig for the women. Nice. Uh, men's results: Eddie Masters, Eric Drower. And then Byron Scott. So still have familiar or unfamiliar names into the enduro scene more yeah. at the top. Crazy. Stage four, Kung Fu Walrus, best trail name ever. And that one is about two and a half Ks long, 247 meters of descent. So about one and a half miles and around 800 feet of descent. So that's pretty good. Uh, we're getting a little longer there. Uh, it's still not crazy long, but a little longer. Keep in mind, the speeds aren't like crazy, crazy high on this one, on this, in this race. It's not like Aspen where they were just wide open 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour down these crazy slopes. So kind of different. Uh, Okay, so Jubal's take. Stage four was good and long with a fire road sprint before dropping into the last bit of steep trail at the finish. It started out slick as ice, not quite as thick as the mud on stage three. And as you got closer to the bottom, it got more grippy. During that stage, I caught my rotor on something mid-stage and it completely ruined my run. I had to loosen my caliper just to be able to ride down the trail. Wow. But that meant I had no rear brake. So yeah, that would be, and no rear brake, really your rear wheel in muddy conditions like that is just like a rudder. Yeah. It's really not like helping you a whole lot in terms of braking, but it's just like a rudder. It's helping steer. And that's where you need the brakes is you need the brakes to get that traction. Exactly. In quotes, traction to be able to get that rear tire where it needs to be. Exactly. So yeah, that's pretty tricky. Cecile Ravenel took it again. Katie Winton got second. Anita Gehrig this time got third. In the men's results, now this is cool to see, Sam Hill got first. Yes. Familiar name in Enduro now since last year he got, he was going doing the EWS and of course he's a downhill legend. Uh, Martin Mays, fast man. He got second and Mark Scott got third. So Mark back on the podium again there. 
Uh, yeah, let's go to stage five. Stage five. Uh, that's the Rocky Horror Picture Show themed. Yes. Uh, Frankenfurter, Riff Raff, and Rocky Horror are the trails you're on. Mm-hmm. It's 2.07 Ks, 334 meters, so 1.29 miles and 1,096 of descent. I think this is the highest descent stage so. out of all of them. Yeah. Um, so Jubal's take was stage five had a mix of everything. The top started in a freshly logged and open cut area, which was tacky, but kept you rolling slow. After dropping into the woods, it was pretty one line with slick mud causing you to drift into less than ideal ruts. It finished off with Rocky Horror, which pretty much explained itself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He said that in quotes. Yeah. Um, It was brutally tight, slick, and filled with rocky sections that were made more tricky with the wet conditions. So this was actually the stage. Stage five, I was worried in our preview that a lot of the fresh cut area at the top was going to create issues with sticks and things coming into your spokes and into your pedals. Tearing off your derailleur, whatever. Jubal didn't even mention that, so I find that interesting that that wasn't even a concern for him. It really was the rock gardens combined with the rain. Yeah, at the end. which we all know is pretty terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um, so women's results, we had um, Cecile Ravenal again, um, Camille Blanche, and then Inez Thomas. Yeah. Um, men's results, Adrian Daly, Win Masters pulls a second, and then we have Jack Moir. Yeah. However you pronounce his name. Moyer. Moyer. Maybe. I've heard Moyer. Moyer. No. Moyer. Moir. Let's go with Moyer. That sounds better. <laughs> cool. I like that. Sounds good. Yeah. So win still consistent up there, win masters. Yep. All right, in stage six, DH Mushroom Line to Waukee. And DH Mushroom Line is the national downhill course that they have, I believe. They, they've used it for national champs it, before. Yes. So it's about 1.9 Ks, and then it's about 250 meters of descent. So uh, let's get into this one. It says, uh, Jubal says, stage six was the DH course and was my favorite one of the day. No surprise, because Jubal shreds on the jumps. Yes, he does. Yeah, the dude's gnarly. He says, it was fast, rough, and gave you different lines to choose from. If you worked hard, you could really find your flow. And that's the big thing about this trail was it's more about finding your momentum and sticking to it because this is... You could go over a lot of the momentum sapping routes and, you know, issues on that trail by finding your flow. Yep. Yep. And now this also marked the point where the trails are really, for the first time, all day starting to dry out. Yes, because it had stopped raining at this point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, We were getting scattered showers, but it wasn't much. Yeah. Things were starting to tack up. So... In the Moomins class, you didn't see much difference. Cecile Ravenel took the win. Katie went in second. Ines Tomah third. But in the men's results, check this out. Richie, totally different. Yep. Richie Rude takes the win. Sam Hill gets second. And Jared Graves, the legend, gets third. Yeah. So pretty cool to see that, you know, just with these varying conditions, how variable the day could be. Exactly. Yep. So stage seven, corridor to Eastern Spice to Turkish to New Exit to the Dodsey Skills Park. That's quite the stringing yeah. together. <laughs> so this guy was long as a mile and a half, 843 feet of descent. And Jubal's take was, by the time stage seven rolled around, it had actually dried out pretty well. This stage had a bit of everything. Flow trail, steeps, ruts, flat root sections, and a couple small climbs. These climbs were done with a headwind, making things extra tough, leading into the Skills Park to round out the day. So with... This trail, I think definitely being dried out made things a lot easier on everybody. Mm -hmm. And it shows again that, you know, the fast international guys also took over, you know, in the podium spots for these. Um, So we had Katie Winton, you know, Annika Smales, and then we had Inez Toma again there in third place. I mean, she played a deadly consistent game that entire enduro. Yeah. And just, I mean, she, she, if I may say so, she kind of, like um, Jerome Clements did. Yeah, she's she super consistent the whole way. Yeah. Um, men's results: Sam Hill took first, Jared Graves took second, Richie Rude took third. That's how it goes. Yep. Now, if you look at the overall results that we see from this whole thing, uh, Winmasters ended up taking the win. He, no pun intended there, uh, he was three seconds ahead of Matt Walker, who was six, and then six seconds behind Win was his brother Eddie Masters. Sam Hill got fifth. Greg Callahan from Ireland, he got, uh, he got f- uh, fifth, forgive me. Am I counting this right? One, two, three, four, five. Yes, Greg yeah. Callahan got fifth. And the interesting thing about this is Greg didn't get a podium in a single one. No, he didn't. But it just shows that consistency pays off, yeah. right? After that was Jack Moyer, Adrian Daly, Josh Bryceland, 
Yep. Rat Boy Rat raced Boy. this, yep. and he was quoted in saying that uh, I think it was at the beginning of stage one or stage two, he hit a bar drag in a turn, and after that, he was just buzzing the whole day. So yeah. <laughs> I guess that means it's good. I think that's a good yeah, thing. I think yeah. that's a good thing. So good job, Bryceland. And he I got think eighth. That he got eighth it's overall. pretty darn solid. Now, uh, it's, it's worth saying that Bryceland also, if you look at how he did on these different stages, he got sixth on the first one, 26th in the second one. So I'm sure he had some type of mechanical thing, then fifth then 16th and 11th and 15th. So it wasn't as if he just like benefited purely from the mud. He had his issues too. Of course. He's just such a darn talented rider, you yeah. know, so good. Um, Jose Borges, uh, Borges, I don't know how you would say that. Uh, I hope that's the way he got ninth and Mark Scott ended up getting 10th, uh, honorable mention to Jerome Clements in 11th, who I said, look out for the podium yeah. for Jerome slow. Yep. You were calling on him. Yeah. Now so I was wrong. Yes, and I was wrong too because I picked Richie Rude to take it. You did. And he didn't win. So we even were thinking Jared Graves could do well, and, and Jared did, just didn't have that great. He had a really either. bad, I think, stage two. He pulled, God, what did he pull? Like 108th position? Oh, it was rough, man. Yeah. He, he had, yeah, I think he had some mechanicals. It was a rough day. So he had 112th on stage two. Yeah. And then in stage four, 108th. Just rough, man. Um, so so rough. bummer, uh, bummer for Jared. Uh, shout out to one of the guys too, Cody Kelly from the Yeti team. I saw that it was a brutal day for him too, but he was stoked because he said mud has always been his weakness, and he got 14th on the stage. Yeah. So for for Cody, that's pretty darn good. That is. Um, pretty cool to see. On the women's side of things, Cecile Ravenel got the win, and she got it by three minutes and fifteen seconds. Holy cow! Shredded it. Yep. And then after that, in Nestoma, her her consistency paid off. She was in second there. Anita Gehrig was in third. And then Camille Camille Belange got fourth. Katie Winton got fifth. Claire Hassenfratz got sixth. And then uh, Carolyn Gehrig, seventh. Bex Barona, she got eighth. Becky Cook, ninth, and Annika Bearton got tenth, and she was your pick, wasn't she? I, I told her she, or I said she was going to be top ten. Yep, and she and actually she got it. She did. So I thought the the Gehrig sisters were going to do really well. I called one of them to be podium. I didn't yes. give a specific because those two are always you know back and forth. So yep. Um. So it's good to see one of them took third. Um. Other than that, I did not see you know Inez or Cecile. Doing yeah. what they did. And I called Cecile. You did. I got the win. You did. predicted that one. So next time we'll record the prediction separate from this, and then you guys can hold us to it. It'll be good stuff. Yeah. So some takeaways that can help you get faster with enduro racing that I can see from this. Uh, number one, uh, when I look at this, is consistency is very important. It is. In how you go about handling enduro racing. Uh, it's not about just being super fast on one stage or giving it all. You really, it's it's slow and steady wins the race in yep. a lot of ways. Especially when conditions get adverse. Yeah, that really, that's one thing that just jumps out to me. Uh, the other thing that jumps out to me is being prepared for mechanicals. With enduro racing, you have to repair your bike yep. as you go through. They do have like service stations planned throughout the day, but you can't just have a mechanic with you to work on your bike with you at all times. Exactly. It doesn't work that way. You have to do it. So having your bike and you know, working shape is key. And don't just go ride on those bluebird days. Go get used to riding in adverse conditions. I love, in fact, one of the best times I've ever had in Downeyville, we were riding the shuttle up to the top of Packer Saddle in a lightning storm. And Dylan Santos and I rode down from Packer Saddle to uh, Downeyville in an hour and two minutes. And Dylan broke a chain in it in a downpour the entire way. It got so bad that mud was coming into our goggles and we had to just go open face and not even wear goggles or glasses (laughs) or anything. And that was the most fun I've ever had at that at Downeyville. Sweet. So riding in adverse conditions helps. Yep, exactly. Because you never know when it's going to rain at an enduro. And you can't change that on race day. And this ain't NASCAR, folks. (laughs) Rain or shine. Yep. Let's go into our tips and close things out. You don't care? They'd count on your tips to live. The tip that I'm going to have, thanks to Trainer Road, uh, 
Nate Pearson, our CEO. He's also a friend of the podcast. I definitely would say so. But, yeah, he's a friend. You know, he's we're on. using we're using Trainer Road's microphones once again. So thank you very much, Trainer Road. But also, Nate listens to the podcast. So Nate, and he offered me a job today. He did? No, he didn't. No. I'm just <laughs> so uh, Nate, he's trying to be a better mountain biker, and he wanted to improve his suspension setup. He's never tweaked it from the factory. He yeah. got it, uh, and that's what it's been. And I think that's actually that way for a lot of people, I bet. So he uh, he got, or Trainer Road got, I should say, the the Quark Shockwiz. Quark mm-hmm. makes power meters. They are owned by SRAM, a really smart company. They make very good power meters. They are, they're just, they're solid. So this little doohickey, you hook it up to your shock, and then you have an app on your iPhone or your Android. I believe Android has one. And then you pair to that device via Bluetooth, so wirelessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, you go through a setup process and the calibration process. So it knows like what shock you have uh, or what fork you're hooking this up to. Yeah. And the way you hook it up to it, I should say is it has, it looks like you basically, it just has like a little hose that you connect one end to this little square and then one end to where you fill up your shock or fork with air. Yeah. And then you zip tie that thing to your frame so that it, or to your, to your shock, to your fork or your shock or fork or shock. Yeah. So then it's, it's experiencing the same undulations that you would have there. Yeah. It uses accelerometers to measure. We've talked about this before, but it uses accelerometers to measure uh, the movements, and then it also uses pressure gauges with inside, and it's measuring that pressure at a very high resolution. Yeah. With those two things and a calibration for the whatever you know unit you have it attached to, it can suggest different suspension settings. So today I just rode it around uh, in a lot of parking lot planters that are like rock gardens, and I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> but just like you know rocky ones. And yes. Pedaling through those for a while, rode on some dirt roads around our office. Uh, it really, I think I ended up doing like 15 minutes of pedaling around, right? After 15 minutes of pedaling around, it, it said that it had 88% of the data that it needed to make a solid conclusion. That said, it already had suggestions to give me. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, granted, that was for that specific trail. And you could bring the shockways with you and you could race on, or you could go pre-ride before race day, and you could dial in your suspension according to what it says there. Yeah. That said, I don't think that you're going to see a huge variance here. Your, your ideal setup is probably going to be close to your ideal setup unless you're riding very different terrain yeah. one day to the next. So um, I'm going to do more of a thorough usage of this in a review coming up soon. But um, yeah, so far the impressions are in, or the, the first impressions are, I, I'm, I'm actually uh, pretty excited about it. I don't know if it's going to give me a whole lot of insight because if I may pat myself on the back, I'm pretty good at Did it already setup. say that your suspension was pretty dialed? Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah it's pretty good. So what did it say? Rebound needed to it be said slower rebound a little bit? Slightly. I need, I, it said we, it's like the suggestion was possibly slightly slower on your rebound. You know what? Faster rebound is more fun. I like faster It's party rebound. mode, dude. Yeah, it's party mode. So anyway, that's the Cork Shock Wiz. That's my tip. My tip is uh, E13's TRS race cassette. So I picked mm-hmm. up a couple of them, uh, one for the new Yeti 5.5, and then one for my Cannondale Super X. Yep. And I've been playing around with the Super X, just kind of lightly riding around my neighborhood. Don't tell my orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> um, I mean, I've been on my trainer mm. at home with it. Yes. And uh, I've been riding it around on the XTR Di2 system on my Yeti and on the Force One long cage derailleur 1x11 on, um, on the Cannondale Super X. Yep. That's a phenomenal shifting cassette. So that's always been my worry with that one is that it's not going to shift as well as something that's native, something that it's, you know, SRAM or Shimano. You know, what's funny is I found that on a Shimano chain, yeah, it's, there's a couple little issues in the, the side plates of the, the, the actual chain itself that the ramps don't like as much. So it's a little bit ratchety on a Shimano chain, but luckily I'm running a KMC on the Yeti now and it's butter smooth. And it's always been butter smooth on every SRAM build that I've ever done. Nice. And I put it on everything from like the, the low end PC 1130 and all the way up to I'm running it on a PC XX1 right now. Um, cause I actually had to run a, an XX1 mountain chain on my cross bike. <laughs> there we go. Because with the 44 tooth front and that, uh, the 946 rear, that makes sense. a road chain wasn't long enough. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I only removed one link on that thing to put it on my wow. cross bike. Holy from, cow. So I had 117 links. 
That's a big chain. That's a big chain. Yeah. It's like a half pound on the bike extra. N- not very weight weenie. No, <laughs> but it's okay. It's an XX1 chain. It'll last forever. Sweet cassettes though. Yeah. Very nice cassette. Good smooth ramps all the way through shifting. Nothing was, you know, I didn't feel like, hey, this jump needed to be less or more. The beauty of the, the TRS race over the TRS plus is they actually changed all of their gearing changes. So mm. you're big from your gear one to gear two is only a seven tooth jump. Whereas on Eagle, it's eight. Yeah. On the 1146 from Shimano, it's eight. Yeah. So it's only a seven tooth jump. It's actually less than pretty much everybody else out there, but you still have 511% gear range. That's Eagle range on 11 speed. And the sweet. thing only weighs 278 grams. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sweet. It's light. Yeah. And it's and black. It looks good. It's black. It looks good. Yeah. Black yeah. is key. It's a nice cassette. Yep. You guys should try it. Awesome. With that, we will close things out. Go to mtbpodcast.com. Submit your questions for next week. Uh, we'll actually for this week, we'll, we'll end up doing two this week so yes. then we can get it out there and, and pay our penance, so to speak for, for missing out. Cause we want to give you guys what you pay for. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of funny there. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, uh, mtbpodcast.com. You can listen to the podcast, share it there with your mates, let them know what you're listening to and that you like it. Find us on social at MTB podcast. We'll talk Talk to y'all next week. Have a nice day. Hey guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.